now that we have talked about the town. <laughs> Let's talk about our favorite part of the book. Yes. So we were talking earlier and we all really, really liked reading about this one man. His name was Ibrahima or uh, Abd al-Rahman Ibrahima. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to refer to him as either Ibrahima or Prince. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he was known as Prince. Um, he was a man who was actually a part of the Fulani tribe. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father was the king. And he was taken prisoner after a battle. And he was enslaved. And he ended up coming to Natchez and being owned by a man named Thomas Foster. Um, I thought it was really interesting when they talked about Dr. Cox. Mm-hmm. And, like, I loved how that, like, came full circle. It so did. there was a man really? who, I don't remember why, but he got stuck. He was shipwrecked. Okay, is that yeah. what it was? Yes. Mm-hmm. So he was shipwrecked, and basically he was taken in by the, like, Fulani people. And yeah. he became friends with Prince. And then he left, and he came back to America. And so then, like, years, years, years later, after Prince had been enslaved for several years, you know, they actually met back up, and he tried to help him get his freedom back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a heartbreaking story. It really is. Because he was (sighs) enslaved for... 40 years. Yeah. They said at one point almost half a century, which is just crazy. Like, because... Do you guys remember how old he was whenever... He was actually captured. I don't. I don't know if he said. I mean, it had to have been in like his his twenties because he was he was like young teens or twenties. Yeah. yeah, he was what like sixty five whenever he he died, something like that. Yeah. He was in his mid sixties. But. Well, I thought it was really interesting. I feel like I say that a lot, but I, the whole <laughs> but book was really it's interesting. Hard to <laughs> I know. So, Grant talks about the arms race in West Africa, and it made me think of Dr. Reynolds. Yeah. So, <laughs> Dr. Reynolds, how? Because Dr. Reynolds talks a lot in his One World History class, and probably in other classes too, but the one class I took with him, about how people always make the argument of, you know, how, like, Africans sold other Africans into slavery, you know, and it's like white people who try and, you know, like, see, it wasn't just us, like, but it's like, well, there was, you know, a whole, like, thing going on, like, you had this arms race where different tribes were getting all of this, you know, like, these weapons and ammunition and goods and different things from Europeans, you know, they're coming down and trading, and it kind of became one of those things where it's like, well, like, if we don't do it, then, like, someone's going to do it to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and like they're trading and they want to get, you know, as many goods and weapons and stuff, you know, because they have their own, you know, issues going on with other tribes. And, right, you know, so it just becomes this whole like everyone's trying to get weapons and everyone is, you know, fighting with each other. And then, yes, you have other, you know, Africans who are selling Africans into slavery, but it's really not just because, but one of the reasons is because if they don't do it, you know, someone else could do it. Like, if you don't have the weapons and you're the weaker link, 
they're no doubt going to be colonized and then yeah. kind of taken themselves. Yeah, I was about to say, like, well, colonial Europeans, like, they created it into an industry. Exactly. And, you know, and then um, they had their homogenous religion, right, of Christianity, where everybody should be under the banner of Christianity. That's mm-hmm. the way that the world should work. And with all those tools combined and together, they justified um, enslaving African peoples because they are the lesser race. Mm-hmm. So that's why it became an even bigger industry. The Chattel slavery became so big. The transatlantic slave trade became so huge. That's just what the colonial mindset was yeah. back then. That's and you know they taught that to West Africans too, and kind of it was kind of like their bargaining chip too to um, get even more slaves from mm-hmm. them, to have them working for them in a, in a way, yeah. if not ens- enslaving all of them. And I think it's interesting how you know the West Africans were trying to get you know, as many, you know, guns and goods and everything as they possibly could, while the Europeans had the ability to manufacture them. Oh, yeah. And just make, like, you know... Yeah. Basically just an exorbitant amount of things. And so they were never going to be unprotected. hmm And so it's, yeah, that's just an interesting... Well, and Dr. Reynolds talks a lot about, too, and they talk about it in the book, like the creation of race... Yeah. And I always have found that really fascinating. You know, like Grant talks about in the book how there was not, like, black and white. That was not a thing Mm -hmm. until, you know, yeah, the slave trade, until, you know, all of this thing, you know, like the New World and colonialism in America and stuff started. Because all the Europeans, like, you weren't European. You weren't white. Like, you were Irish or you were German or Mm -hmm. you were, you know, English or whatever. And it was and the same deal in with the tribes of Africa. Exactly. They weren't, weren't all African. African. Yeah. They were the tribe that they were from. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, colonialists came in and then they created the concepts of white and black because they wanted to make sure that they, the white people, had the most power. Yeah. They wanted to make white be interchangeable with power something that black people can never achieve Mm -hmm. to keep them where they are yeah i thought it was really heartbreaking when he talked about prince and how like they cut his hair yes and how that was just like an absolutely like degrading experience yeah because in his tribe like that your hair was a huge part of, you know, like, your culture, and, like, it meant something. I think it was, like, a representation of, like, your, like, manhood. Yeah. Yeah, that that was was, your coming-of-age ritual, is to continue having your hair grow longer. Yeah, that was absolutely just emasculating and completely culturally insensitive. Yeah. One, he talks about how farming was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that was something that, like, slaves of his tribe Mm -hmm. did. But even then, like, in his tribe, they had the sense to be like, yeah, we're not trying to work you within an inch of your life. Oh, you right, do no. Have yeah. Well, he said that, yeah, between. they got, like, breaks, and, like, there it was different. I mean, Which was that. definitely, like, um, a blow to Ibrahima, too. He was like, what? What do you mean I have to work, like, 12 hours straight in a day? Yeah. yeah. 
backbreaking labor. Like, that's another thing, too. Like, not only is he stepping down a rank um, from his cultural point of view, um, it's just completely supposed to be, it's supposed to break your spirit, the labor yeah. is. Yeah. And over time, he did get more quote unquote freedom with, you know, like being able to have a garden and like yeah. being able to like sell what he grew in like a market. Well, he becomes and, the driver. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and like, because he talks about the difference between an overseer and a driver. Mm-hmm. You know, and a driver was normally an enslaved man who kind of oversaw, for lack of a better term, the other enslaved people, you know, and like the work and everything that was going on, where an overseer was normally a white man. Yeah. You know, who did that. Yeah. I thought it was interesting whenever he talked about um, Ibrahima learning the the fake whipping. Yes, that was yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. At that point, mm-hmm. it was like a I think he said like a ten foot long whip or something like that. that but was it was whipping, you know, extremely close to the skin, but not actually touching the skin. And then whoever the you know victim was, they would go and complain to you know Foster and. And everything like that. And so that was kind Part of... about how mean he was. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, well, and so... I was really mad when Foster wouldn't give him his freedom. Like, yeah, as I'm reading I think it, it, you know what I mean? I'm I like, like how Grant explained it in the book, where basically, like, Ibrahima, he had that point in the beginning when he was first enslaved by the Fosters, where he was just like, yeah, um, I don't want to go off in my own in the wilderness. Like, I think I'm just going to be the best servant to you guys as possible, just so that I can live, because I wouldn't be able to make it out there alone. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know the American culture enough like yeah. this is the only option that I have I mean, is to he, submit to you guys and he yeah. kissed um, Foster's wife's feet because yeah. culturally that is she him. let him put wasn't it like her foot on his neck Something yeah, yeah. Which in, it, that was a like something like of a sign great of submission to his own culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like he initially ran away and yeah. like, lived in a tree for what was it like three or four days or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I can go back and I can be, you know, killed potentially, or I can stay out here and die of starvation or whatever. Um, but so I guess he, he, you know, he just thought it was better for, I think he- and more worth it to go to go back and be like, all right, I'm fully submissive. Yeah. And was didn't he, Grant also bring up the point where like he was fulfilling his Islamic duty to go yeah, back? I think so yeah. I don't remember the exact reasoning, but that was like a factor into his choice of going back. Well, I think it had something to do with, and I don't remember the exact reason either, but it was like basically like your path is... Oh, kind of predetermined like, by God. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. If he was he was brought there to be, for a reason. That's where he's meant to right. be. Right. Then he just has to like deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I just it. think that's just another like blow, like a massive blow to be like, you know, this is such a hard situation, but let me just put my faith in my religion and just kind of trust in God and hopefully have that um, boost my morale to go ahead and continue to endure the misery of being enslaved by, you know, the fosters. And also, too, I really hated this was this also um, was 
yet another chip against Ibrahima's favor, where like Ibrahima, he was a really good slave, and that's why he kept getting promoted to be a driver and to be an overseer, and um, you know, and doing the fake whipping, of course, so that you know he can still be kind of good to um, the people under him. But Foster was like, "Yeah, Ibrahima is such a good slave. Right, I I'm don't want to get, give, rid of him. get rid of him I because gonna, he keeps everybody in line." I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. When he like made his whole like you know farm and everything prosper, like he talks about how he starts having so much more crop and he's mm-hmm. able to buy more slaves and like and Ibrahima knew how to grow cotton too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that of course just made his plantation boom. Yeah. I think it said at the time of like his most prop like uh, prosperous. Uh, I think it was like 1,700 slaves or something like that. I don't remember, but it was a lot more than he started. A lot. He started with, what, three? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was um, Ibrahima's right-hand man, his friend. Yeah, who had been captured And somebody else, yeah. Yeah, well, and I I was really happy when they, like, him and Dr. Cox found each other again. I know. (laughs) Well, because they talk about how, like, he was such a good, you know, like, driver, and he got married, and he had all these kids and everything, but he was, like, never happy. Like, they talk about how he never smiled. smiled. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, when he, like, got back together with Dr. Cox, like, it was, like, his first sign of, like, hope. hope. Dr. Cox gave him hope again. Dr. Cox wanted to bring him back to his homeland. Which I was so mad. I know. Foster was like, no, he's too good. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, no, I'm never going to sell him. And then he had those completely irrational um, oh, conditions. Yes. So basically, like, eventually, it's like a whole process. I don't even know how to explain it. So there's an editor of one of the newspapers who helps Ibrahima get some of his writings of the Quran. Quran into the newspaper um, and basically get it like to politicians like Henry Clay and John Quincy Adams and they think he is a what is it a Moroccan prince mm-hmm. yeah and completely are, wrong <laughs> I know it, it was completely like just messed up on, on so many oh, completely levels. different yes. continent right by the yes. way <laughs> and so well do you think it's like communication back then like you can see like it was like a bad game of telephone like exactly. it just got wrong through every level of like the writing and like who was trying to help but so they're like okay we're gonna help you get your freedom and but yeah then yeah foster was like well only if you're never free in america mm-hmm. you can't work for anybody else like you have to go straight home like all of these and he's things. only free until, until he gets he home yes on right he's not true. free until then mm-hmm. like and if anything any of those demands are not you know met like he has, he has to, to be go brought back, back. To foster. That's just that blows my mind. Yeah. Just goes to show how much of an yeah. head. I'll say <laughs> Foster was. But we are a family yeah. friendly podcast, with, everyone. With um, uh, Ibrahima, he also somehow convinces Foster to uh, let him take his wife, yes, Isabella, Isabella, with him. Yep. And, you know, they head up the Mississippi and actually to Cincinnati. And I thought that part was really I just, interesting. I was, like, yeah. I was like, oh, look, I know. it's our city. <laughs> like, oh, I, I live there. <laughs> <laughs> and how he got him that um, cultural, uh, was it cultural Mor- uh, Moroccan dress? Yes, they get him this yeah. like, crazy outfit. Like he, like Grant talks about how it's like very flashy, yeah, and very. Because I wasn't even Moroccan. 
I don't know. I feel like it wasn't. No. I thought it was just like. I'm pretty sure. The guy just wanted to make him look very like obscure and like, you know, prince. Like, and very, yeah. you know, flashy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Ibrahima took that to his advantage. Oh, yeah. And he, and he was like, well, if this is what I have to wear, then let's go for it. Let's, you know, try to raise money. And I mean, at this point, 40 years of enslavement, I bet he's just kind of like, well, um, these people have authority over me, so it's better not to kick up a fuss. Right. And it's better not to try to tell them no. Um, actually, the deal is I'm not Moroccan. I'm Fulani. Right. Um, it's best to just go along with what they're saying. Right. Yeah. Not just because, you know, like this could be something uh, to take advantage of later along the line, but more like it's let's just... Uh, follow their demands because right now, like, my situation is so precarious. I'm not in my homeland yet. Right. So. It's one of those things where it's like, you gotta go with the flow. Right. Until you can, you know, like, change something. You have more, like, power for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was in Cincinnati where they started to be like, okay, we have to start raising money so I can bring my 13 kids and grandkids um, to be free with us. Like, and I mean, I don't know why. It's, it's not surprising. Right. But, like, I feel like Adams was super selfish. Yeah. Like, I think the government has yeah. plenty of money to purchase his children and grandchildren. He won't. And then even when Ibrahima is doing, like, his costumed appearances and autographs and raising money, Adams doesn't donate. Like, he goes yeah. and sees him. Yeah, Ibrahima brings the subscription book. Yes. And then I think at that Adam at that point, Adams was kind of like, well, I've already done all this stuff. Sorry. I've already done all of these. I've already extended too much of my generosity right. to Ibrahima. I kind of just want you out of my hair now. And I then, think that's what he was thinking. Yeah, after the, like, um, you know, fundraising tour that Ibrahima did in the North, um, I think he made $3,500. Yeah, it wasn't a lot. And then um, he actually, whenever he left for, um, he was going to Nigeria, wasn't he? Yes. Like that was the first stop? It was, or no, Liberia. Was it Liberia? Yeah, Yeah. Liberia. Liberia. Um, Because it was with the American Colonization Society. Ah, yes, you're right. So they were very, like, slavery is bad, but, like, African Americans would be better to go, go back. back to Africa. Yeah. It was also kind of a missionary um, program, too. Yeah, they wanted they to, bring to bring Christianity yes, to West Christianity. Africa. Yeah, but he left the $3,500 with that society, like, just in case I know. they, yeah. like, were able to get, you know, his kids and grandkids. And mm-hmm. so then whenever he got to Liberia, he didn't have anything. And... They had, I think the society arranged for him to have, for him and his wife to have like a small hut or something. And then it was another person on the ship that claimed it was theirs. Yes. And so they had to remember that. They did get it. They had to live in like a bamboo hut and everyone in the, in the area was getting sick and all this other stuff. Yeah. There was a mistake with letters and the supplies and stuff. So they had no house and they tried to send word to the Fulani. Mm Mm-hmm. Of, like, their arrival. But the messenger. But, yes. Well, they didn't get reply. Okay. And so, yeah. Like, they were just kind of stuck in Monrovia. Is that how you say it? That was where they landed. 
On Ruby. That's yeah. That's how I would say it. Yeah. Um, and basically, there's like a whole bunch of disease, mm-hmm. and like people are have fevers, and it's just like not not going well. And of course, it was his wife who was born in America. She was in this land that she, you know, had never been to. Was obviously, um, you know, derived. That's the right word from. Um, yeah. Was like distantly from, but she'd never been there. She didn't really know much about it. And it was her husband that was very culturally attached to the land. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wonder how different it was for them, too. Like, they're used to being on a plantation mm-hmm. where they had the manager telling them, okay, plant these crops, um, do such and such task over here and such and such task over there. Like, they're... 100% managing themselves now in that bamboo hut. So, like, how were they able to get the resources necessary to make a living in this new land? Yeah. Well, I don't think they were there very long no. before he died. Yeah, um, it would have been maybe weeks. Because he dies in 1829. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really, like, telling in a way that, like, Grant talks about how he wrote, like, all these manuscripts and he, like, wanted to start a trading business mm-hmm. and he was going to try and convince his tribe to stop trading people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trade, like, other goods and find other ways to, like, support yeah. themselves. Yeah, and, like, his whole premise to get, you know, it's to, like, like, fundraise and stuff like that was, I am a prince. But then once he got to Africa he didn't want to be like a part of the royal family Mm. and like he didn't want any like job within the royalty he wanted to be with his people but you know like you said start the the trading business and everything it's sad it is sad yeah I just think it's so messed up too that like you know throughout the whole ordeal it's like it's 40 years of slavery and then it's yet again donning another costume for I felt that way too for the white when I read it you know it was like I have to like parade myself around Mm -hmm. to try and get money and you know so you guys can all yet again debasing himself Mm -hmm. for his own survival to try to um, improve his lot in life this time though too well and then to get back to like his homeland and not even get to like his tribe and throughout this whole time pass away throughout this whole time the government could have been like this is kind of messed up i know why are we why are we trying to get this one farmer (laughs) to why are we trying to pay this farmer to release these human beings who are trying to get back home from where their father was from like their father's homeland and it, it was just, it was so sad that uh, Monrovia was, I think he said, within 500 miles yeah. of his tribe. And, like, it was just, he was just so close. I know. But, well, and it made me mad how, like, the town turns him into a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, they talk about, like, Foster gets mad when he finds out that he was, yeah, like, doing these, you know, autographs, and he was still up north trying to raise money to get his kids and his grandkids to go with him. And so, basically, like, the editor of the newspaper that helped him originally turns on him. Martok or whatever. Yes, Yes. Martok. His weird name. And basically, like, 
creates this whole story that the entire like South in particular like runs away with about how Ibrahima is like he's an emancipator and he's giving other slaves the wrong idea and you know this is gonna start yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. all of these terrible things and you know like just made him a complete villain yeah yeah and like initially the town like they liked him or well they I knew guess, of his reputation right. and they and, were all kind of like odd yeah. in a way and like mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a lot of people that like knew him like from the market and everything mm-hmm. like that yeah and then it was just his reputation was just absolutely flipped because of the guy that initially tried to help him mm-hmm. Ugh. It's, it's a it's a very sad story but it was definitely um, the in, in my mind, almost the highlight, I guess you could say, of the book. I agree with that. Or the, I think most, it was the best The part. most interesting and prominent story of it. Mm-hmm. I think any of, like, this story in particular, like, everything about Prince, that was my favorite part to read. Yeah. Yep. I also did really like when he talked about, when Grant talked about some of the other, like, historical parts mm-hmm. of the town. Like I said, some of the people. Or, you know, yeah, like the deacons know. of defense. Mm-hmm. And, like, that kind of thing. Because it was all the, like, historical parts of it. I found it kind of hard to read through some of the stuff that was just, like... Now we're going to talk about the garden club. And yeah. this lady lives in this house, and it has this chandelier. And I yeah. went here, yeah. and they said this. And, like, that right. kind of And I'm like, And look I at their Versace purses and Louis Vuittons. And right. Yes. Like, come on. But, I mean, I also kind of understand, like, I think he was trying to show this, like, weird contrast mm-hmm. of the town and its history. But it was just, yeah, like, that's not the stuff that I found interesting, you I know? Like, I feel like he did a pretty good job, for the most part, um, at portraying the culture of the town. Yeah. And sort of the, like, eccentricity and uh, almost backwardness. I will give town. him this. I do like that he found these these characters, the rich mm-hmm. white people, to really illustrate just how divorced from reality a lot oh, of yes. them are. How disillusioned they are, how like the ignorance that they harbor and how they justify being ignorant. It's kind of well, crazy. Uh, like it does um, and also too, I would say that um, the Prince story um, does help to um, drive the point home of, yeah, the echoes of slavery are definitely a thing of Natchez. Like, this is a Natchezian story with Prince. He's from Natchez. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think overall it was a really good book. Like, I did enjoy the book. Mm-hmm. I think parts of it were sad and parts were weird. <laughs> and some parts were even kind of funny, like mm-hmm. just ironic. And yeah. You know, a strange, like you said, divorce from reality. Yeah. Like, okay. Controversial and contradictory and yes. ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, we were talking before the podcast about how we all want to go back and read a book that he mentions um, in the acknowledgments about Ibrahima. Yes. Um, just because that, that story is very fascinating and it was and the most interesting it part. was yeah I, I definitely enjoyed that part the most mm-hmm. so do you have anything else we want to add any I don't think so last notes? no no I think yeah. that's it yep I think we would recommend the book I would yeah yeah I would definitely recommend it yeah 
some parts just just read the the print story at least. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can skip. Well, because he breaks it down by chapters. He does. It's it's yeah. It's, it's like maybe, literally maybe you could, ten chapters or something. Yeah, like, like that. you could literally just read this. Not that you Honestly, shouldn't read the rest. Yeah, but that is the most interesting part for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And next time we are going to read um, a book called 1177, The Year Civilization Collapsed. It's by Eric Klein. And I am excited for that one. I am very so excited. Am I. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of a, well, I'll just have Kevin cut this part out. That's a good idea. Yeah. A good way to like end <laughs> it. There's, were there any quotes that stuck out to me? There were a, f- a few. There was one he were... says, but he's quoting William Faulkner, and he says, the past oh. is never dead. There, one second. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> there, cut and edit this. There was one at the This one is a good one. It's the very last line of the book. Um, once again, sorry, Kevin. It says, she didn't know if Natchez had taken a small box and created an entire world inside it or looked at a small box and mistaken it for the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. Do we want to, like, create a little outro type I know. I'm trying thing? to think of, like, what we could, like, right. how we get to that. Can we announce what book we're going to do? Yeah. We can maybe say, like... Um, I don't know. Wrap up the discussion on like this bizarre little town and the history within it and everything like that. Yeah, or just say you know, and if you, if any of you listeners like ever find yourself in Natchez, yeah, blah 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 blah. <laughs> I don't know. We are very good at this. <laughs> we are fantastic at intros and outros. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought our in... intro wasn't that bad this time. It wasn't. No, it was actually bad really as <laughs> You killed it. You killed it, no, Sarah, honestly. Once again, sorry, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Whatever you guys want. Because how does it start? She didn't know if Natchez had taken a small box and created an entire world inside it or looked at a small box and mistaken it for the world. Mm. We can just be like, and let's leave leave off our or like a with this poignant. Maybe our outro thing could be like, um, I don't know, like a quote to keep you thinking or something. Like, Like, leave you with a quote to keep to keep this town or whatever in your mind, Uh, or to yeah to keep you think. Yeah, we'll leave you with this quote to keep you thinking. I mean. On the, the very last sentence of the book. Yes. Okay, do you want me to say that? Or would you like to say it? Sometime? You can say the quote. I'll say the, we'll leave you with this. I feel like one of us should say all of it. Okay, then you okay. say it. No, I want you to say it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that's underlined on there. Okay. Okay, Kevin, we're ready. <laughs> There's a solid, like, three minutes that you can just cut out. So. Probably, like, five minutes. Okay. So we are going to leave you guys with a quote from the book just to keep you thinking about everything. She didn't know if Natchez had taken a small box and created an entire world inside it or looked at a small box and mistaken it for the world.